Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Indie Podcast, a show where we hear real life success stories from freelancers and entrepreneurs, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them so that you can too. I'm your host, Brant Sohn, and today I'm joined by Erin Booth. She's a professional virtual assistant who's here to share all about the industry, including how to become a virtual assistant, the skills that you need, the challenges you might face as a freelancer, and how to grow a successful freelance business. Thank you so much for tuning in and let's dive right in. Hey, Erin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I'm a huge fan of Indy. I'm super excited to be here. Awesome. Really glad to hear it. So let's start by breaking down what a virtual assistant is. How would you describe a virtual assistant? Sure. Um, so I like to speak on this as broadly as possible. And essentially, think of a virtual assistant as an independent contractor or freelancer who provides remote services for clients outside of the office. Like we, we can really be as macro as that. It's a person providing services remotely. <laughs> and, um, you know, virtual assistants can provide as many services as admin so think administrative assistant type thing um, and they can even get into specialized niche skills like social media management content management graphic design etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, so the term virtual assistant is actually a p pretty big umbrella term that can encompass a ton of different services so how does being a virtual assistant differ from being like a personal assistant are they two different avenues or is there like a lot of overlap with those job roles that is a great question. Um, there is a lot of overlap, but here's how I like to think about it. A personal assistant is usually somebody who's more um, person to person and, and in, I'll say in real life. So if a client needs in-person support, like they physically need somebody to go run errands that require a physical presence, or they need a, a you know, a personal assistant to pick up a cup of coffee or laundry, you know, a, a PA might be the way that you want to go. Um, and, and kind of second to that is I like to think of personal assistance as being a one-to-one -one type of thing. So a personal assistant might just have one boss, one client, whereas a virtual assistant can have multiple different clients at the same time. That's really interesting to hear because I know there's quite a few different terms, virtual assistant, personal yes. assistant, office assistant. <laughs> so yeah, it, it can get a little yes. bit uh, confusing on which avenue you want to take. A hundred percent. So what made you want to be a virtual assistant? Did you already have a background in office administration? You know, I, I did. I, I came to virtual assistants in a long and winding road, but I did have some experience uh, a couple years in an office, traditional office setting as an executive assistant. Um, but it was really, I, at the time, years and years ago, I was working in the film industry as Ooh, cool. uh, in the office, so in the production office. And after a handful of years in film, I, I knew I wanted to leave the industry and I didn't know what skills translated the most. And it became pretty obvious as I started to dig into it that a lot of what I was doing as, um, you know, an assistant production coordinator was a lot of admin type stuff. So I thought if I can run an office for a film crew, I can run an office for myself. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, film can get uh, pretty stressful, crazy and hectic. <laughs> I will say I don't miss 80 hours, <laughs> 80 hours right. a week. For sure, for sure. I've been on some movie sets before and it gets pretty crazy with the long hours. 
Yes. So it sounds like it was a pretty easy transition or maybe it wasn't easy. Did you, did you feel it was a smooth transition or were there a lot of new things you had to learn as a freelancer? Well, it's funny you ask that. There for sure is a huge learning curve, I think, for anyone who starts freelancing uh, right off the bat. Um, right. Learning curve-wise, I would say, work-wise, it translated pretty well. But in terms of a learning curve, um, suddenly finding yourself wearing many different hats, because essentially mm -hmm. as, a, as a virtual assistant, um, even though we can call ourselves independent contractors, we are business owners. We all of a sudden have to know how to you know, do all of our IT, do the client facing and customer service type of work, do the tasks, do our accounting. Um, so that was quite a big jump for me, as was doing taxes as a freelancer, which I'm sure we will dig into later. But um, yes, in some sense, it was a big, big learning curve. So could you walk us through like what a, a typical day would look like as a virtual assistant? Yeah, um, the nice, so I'll give you a kind of a, another vague answer, which I'm sure you'll love. Uh, the day of a VA is pretty unpredictable and it really depends on your clients. So um, some days I am tethered to my laptop or racing back to my desk to hit multiple deadlines. And other days I have so much downtime that I'm able to go for a walk, take care of errands. So it really depends, but I, I think broad strokes is, uh, you know, over the years, I've come to find um, a certain flow that works well for me. So typically, I tend to do my heavier brain tasks in the morning. So I might wake up, check all my inboxes, see what's come in overnight, or see what I have due for the day, uh, and then prioritize my day based on everyone's deadlines. I'll try to get to the most pressing or highest priority tasks right away, um, especially the things that need the most concentration. And then maybe afternoon or late afternoon, I might dedicate that towards um, either, you know, low priority tasks, things that can be done at any time, or even even kind of low brain activities for my own business. So it could be, um, you know, marketing my own services on social media or making some graphics to advertise my stuff, um, or even doing a video like we're doing right now. <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot of freelancers will relate to that because freelancing can be very unpredictable. And because of that, it can be very hard to schedule what your week is going to look like, just depending on, like, especially if you're working on multiple clients and having to keep up with all of their schedules plus exactly your schedule. Right. <laughs> right. So how did you decide on what services you were going to offer? Because that's always a big question on freelancers' minds is, now that I've made this decision to become a freelancer... How do I decide what services mm -hmm. I'm going to offer? Was it like a mixture of looking at what skills you already had? Or are you looking at which skills are more valuable to market yourself to clients? That's a fantastic question. And um, I so I typically look at a three-prong approach. So my kind of three tiers are, um, first and foremost, what tasks do I know how to do and enjoy doing? So I think that's that's my baseline. Um, and I say, you know, it's, it's, it's important to choose tasks and services that you actually like to do because we are building our own business. So just to give you an example, I hate, uh, I hate accounting and bookkeeping. I don't like to do it for myself. I certainly don't like to do it for clients. So it's not something that I offer in my services. I can do it, but I simply don't because I would genuinely hate my day, day in and day out, if that's what I was doing predominantly. Um, so I look for things that I enjoy doing, 
I look for services that are in demand, as you say, and I also look for services that people are willing to pay for. Um, and I do have a short story about that kind of last point about what services are willing to pay for, people are willing to pay for, because when I first started in my journey as a virtual assistant, I was doing what everybody tells you to do, which is do your market research, talk to customers, talk to prospective clients and figure out you know, what it is that they want, what are their pain points, and right. um, and I had at the time I was leaving film still, and I was talking to some of my film counterparts in the film crew, and I had asked them, you know, if you had an assistant to who could, you know, go run errands for you, go to the bank for you, go grocery shopping for you, and it's because on a film crew you don't have time to run errands, you don't have time to take care of those things day to day. So I said, if, if I did this for you, would you be willing to pay for it? Everybody told me yes. And at the end of the day, when I initially launched um, what initially was going to be an in-person concierge before I pivoted to virtual work, um, I thought I had done my research well. Nobody hired me as a concierge. It was like huh. crickets. So I realized that part of my approach was that I had to find things that were not only in demand, but people genuinely wanted to pay for. Interesting. That's interesting that you gauged what the reaction would be <laughs> if you started a business like that before starting a business that's really, really smart. Well, I mean, in theory. <laughs> right. Exactly. But it all worked out. It did. <laughs> so what are some of the most important soft skills that you think a virtual assistant should have? Ooh, this is a great question. Um, I'll do my best to narrow this down because I think there are plenty. First and foremost, the most important one, hands down, is communication skills. Um, so it, we are virtual 100% of the time. If we cannot communicate effectively, even in terms of signifying to clients that we have received a task or that we're working on something, you know, there's there's no office. Your, your client can't look out of their office and see that you're working on something. So even just bare minimum communicating that you've got the task and you're, you're working on it. Um, but really, truly communicating, you know, how to meet client expectations. VAs have to be clear on what the client wants, what their priorities and goals are. Uh, we have to make sure that we're meeting their deadlines. Those need to be clearly communicated. And it's important that we really fully understand the work that's being asked of us. So, so communication, hands down. Second to that is problem solving. Um, it is our job as virtual assistants to make sure that our clients are as unencumbered as possible. And so part of that is being able to resolve your own problems without asking your questions, you know, without asking your client 20 follow-up questions. That could be anything like problem solving, you know, your Wi-Fi went out, your tools online aren't working as expected, or maybe, you know, you've been given an impossible task, which happens frequently. Like you, you like, you know, clients will be like, find me a private jet tomorrow. And you have to be able to think outside of the box to deliver on their expectations. So, so you know, if, if problem solving is doesn't come easy to you, it's definitely something that you need to get comfortable with uh, and be comfortable kind of working through issues on your own. Um, and actually, I have three more things. Another soft skill for sure is flexibility. Flexibility, I think, is so important, not only as a VA, but even as an entrepreneur. I think all freelancers can can identify with needing to be flexible. You know, it could be changes in your own business 
It could be changes in what tools and technology you're using. Um, I think if I'm you know, talking in a macro sense, you have to be flexible in terms of the skills or niches that right. you're offering. And if we're talking about, you know, even in the micro sense, you have to be flexible in terms of um, if priorities hit your inbox, you know, something urgent hits your inbox and it blows up your entire day. You have to be able to shuffle things around constantly. And, and then related to that, of course, is time management and um, knowing effectively how to use time each day, knowing how to hit multiple deadlines for people or hit deadlines for multiple projects. And, and even understanding, I think, what skills are vital to your business is so crucial because, again, we're business owners. So, so knowing how to manage your time. Um, I do have a, a I follow the 80-20 rule a lot for a lot of different aspects of my business. So I like to think of it as I should be dedicating about 80% of my time to revenue generating tasks. So that's typically client work. And then I need to make sure I'm spending about 20% of my time on the things that keep my business afloat. So it's, um, you know, it's the advertising, it's the bookkeeping, it's, um, it's the invoices, et cetera, et cetera. And the very last thing I'll say, I know I've talked so much about soft skills is, is I guess I'll call these customer service and people skills. And I say that because ultimately, like any business, being a virtual assistant is really based on relationships. You know, clients hire and work with people that they like. So being able to build a rapport, being able to be a human on your phone calls, and, and also being able to, you know, inevitably when something goes wrong or you've made a mistake, being able to speak to your client and take accountability and say, like, I, I messed up. Like, here, here's what happened and here's how I'm going to fix it. It's that kind of human to human relationship that um, it can be taught. But yeah, those, that, that human to human people skills really need to be honed. I'm glad you really dug deep into uh, the soft skills because I think for, especially like when you're first starting out freelancing, all you're focused are on are the hard skills and if you know how to do your job. And then you realize, oh, wow, there's a lot more to freelancing than I realized. There's being flexible, uh, communication and problem solving, like you mentioned. And another big thing is like, how am I going to run this business? How am I going to pay taxes, like you mentioned? And there's just yeah. there's just so much involved. Like, how am I going to raise my rates? So that's my next question for you is just, you know, for mm -hmm. someone just starting out, how did you go about setting your rates? And at what point did you start to raise them? Oh, this is a great question. This is probably one of the most common and hardest things to do, I think, when you're starting your own business. So a virtual assistance is still a fairly new and I'll say unregulated industry. And the reason I say that is because there's no set education to be a VA. There's no set one path to become a VA. So, so setting your rates can be difficult. Um, right. Typically, virtual assistants in, I'll say North America, can fall anywhere in the maybe $15, $20 an hour to start up to 40 50, depending on your skill set. Whereas, you know, other VAs based on other parts around the world, you certainly can find people in the $10 range, um, just based on geographic location. So there's a wide variety. Uh, I will say based as a US freelancer myself, I actually started my rates years ago at $20 an hour. And I came to that um, really by measuring myself in, in two different ways. I looked at my past experience 
And, you know, I had a couple of years as, you know, admin at an advertising agency. I had years in the film industry. So I, I, I took what I already knew and the years of experience I was bringing to the table. And then I had to measure that against what other virtual assistants in the industry were setting their rates at. At the time, this was back in 2012, at the time, 20 to $25 an hour was pretty much the going rate. So I was, I was already kind of in the middle of that bell curve and it made sense to me. I am um, almost ashamed to tell you that I did not raise my rates for the first full year. It was almost a year and a half of my business. In hindsight, I waited too long. But as a new freelancer, I was scared to raise my rates. Right. And I was mm-hmm. not, I was, you know, I'd, I'd spent so many years in corporate waiting for that annual conversation where a raise was almost inevitable. So, mm-hmm. um, so talk about a learning curve. That was something that I had to get comfortable with, was really taking control of my own income. So I waited a year and a half, and uh, and it was a comment, actually, a client made to me. Um, I had just done some impossible last-minute task for this particular guy, and he emailed me, and he said, I can't believe that we're paying you $20 an hour. That was his genuine response. And it was also my light bulb moment where I was like, if my clients can't believe that they're paying me so little, then then I'm clearly doing something wrong. So um, I, I raised my rates by $10 an hour, which was a fairly high percentage. Since then, every year, usually at the end of a calendar year, I'll go back through and I'll look at, you know, scope of work. Did any of my, has my scope changed with any of my clients? Have I taken on more work than I was hired for? Have any of my skills changed? Um, have I become a faster, better virtual assistant? And then I will raise my rates back uh, based based on those facts. I'm glad you brought that up because it could be a little like scary to raise your rates, wondering if like, are you suddenly going to lose your clients now because you raised them or are they going to be okay with oh, that? Oh, I was terrified. Right. Yep. So would you say like in the writing industry, there's a lot of freelancers who make that kind of debate whether they charge by the hour or they charge by like the value that they bring to the table. Is that kind of the same with virtual assistants? It is actually. Um, And I really like the way that you worded that, the value that you bring. I really like to, so I'll, I'll just tell you, I charge flat rates um, loosely based on an hourly rate that I, that I set. So for example, um, Let's say I'm at $50 an hour. If a client hires me for 20 hours a month, you know, I'll multiply 50 by 20 and then they get a flat, you know, once a month, they get an invoice for that full amount charged. That's just kind of a loose way of how I bill my clients right now. Um, I ultimately, yeah, I ultimately think that doing flat rates and charging for your value is always going to be better than charging for your time. I realized that early on in my career as well. And it's just because, you know, as a virtual assistant, I meet people who, especially when they're new VAs, they think, well, I'll just do hourly because I'm not sure how long a task will take me. I'm not sure, you know, how many hours It, it makes sense. But I think ultimately when you get better at your job as a virtual assistant, you will inevitably become faster and more efficient at getting certain tasks done. You will inevitably start to turn things around faster. If you're still on an hourly rate, you're only punishing yourself for doing faster, better work. Right. So ultimately, I, I fall on the, the, you know, price yourself where you're delivering value, not just time. 
Now, let's talk a little bit about organization, because I could imagine that you would need to have some systems in place since organizing your client's schedule mm -hmm. is such a big part of being a virtual assistant. And then you have to balance that with your own schedule. So what are the best ways to stay organized? And are you using like your client software for this? Or do you have your own software to manage clients? Yeah, this is also a great question. Um, I live and die by my calendar. Absolutely everything from all of my clients work. You know, I have one central calendar. If you could see the colors, it's like all the colors of the rainbow. It's clients, it's my own stuff. Um, it's scheduling in free time so I can actually take breaks. Um, so, so being organized on a calendar is super important. But yes, having systems in place where you can keep track of all the tasks that are coming in, you know, clients are going to email you, they're going to call you, they're going to send you text messages, you can't let any, you know, I don't, it doesn't matter if they send you smoke signals, you can't let any of those things fall through the cracks. So having a system where, you know, essentially a task manager, um, which is why I like Indie so much and shameless plug for you guys. I love your product just because it's so user friendly and because there's such an easy way to track everything that's coming in and track your time. So, um, yeah, so having a system where you can build some sort of easy to read, you know, it could be a to do list, it could have deadlines. Um, ultimately, though, it, you know, it almost doesn't matter if you're even using a pen and a paper something where you can simply write down your deadlines, your priorities for the day. What are the things that you have to deliver on each day? Um, yeah, I, yeah, the, having a system is, is pretty crucial. It's awesome to hear that you love using Indie. The whole team at Indie works really hard to make it easier for freelancers to manage their businesses. So it's really great to hear that. And speaking of which, uh, how are you handling multiple clients at once? Do you manage them like simultaneously each day? Or do you dedicate certain days of the week to certain clients? Oh, that see, that's an interesting question. I'm going to be honest. It never occurred to me to do different days for, for different people. Um, I, I do still assist people simultaneously. Um, I will tell you, for, for people who are listening to this, who are thinking about getting into virtual assistants, one of my reasons for getting into this industry was I thought I will be my own boss not realizing that as a VA with multiple clients, it feels like you have multiple bosses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I know it's not quite the same thing because we are not employees technically, but some days it sure feels like it. Right. Um, so I went from one boss to 10 bosses. Having said that, I do manage people simultaneously. Um, so that's where something like having a system like Indie really comes in handy because, you know, I, I'm able to read through everybody's inboxes gauge you know who needs what project done the fastest that's the thing i'm going to work on first but but um yeah it is a learning curve and i think also it goes back to the soft skills conversation we had about time management and flexibility there are i i will say there is one thing that i can suggest especially for new freelancers or new virtual assistants maybe who who are just getting into this it can feel overwhelming especially if you grow too soon, too fast, you have too many clients before you've really got a handle on it. So um, so something that I do still this day to, for myself is, is time blocking. So if I have a really big project that I have to get done, I will actually block out mm. several hours on my calendar just to dedicate it to that one client. So I guess in that sense, whilst I am 
assisting multiple people at the same time each day. I do dedicate certain deep thinking blocks of time that I can really get a lot of their work done. Right. And time blocking, I think that's just like one of the most underrated things that you can do in freelancing to stay organized. Uh, so I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yes. Do you ever feel like working in different time zones is an issue? Yes, I do. <laughs> and I do feel like this is a personal preference. I will say that I do not have children and that plays a big part in how flexible I can be. And I've talked to many of my virtual assistant colleagues who um, men and women, uh, people who have children, it differs based on kids' schedules. So I, I will say that I have more flexibility in terms of when, I'm, when I work and when I don't. Um, but I try to keep all of my clients in one time zone just for my own sanity. I like to have everybody on the West Coast hours of the U.S. And that's just because no matter where I physically am in the world, even if I'm working while traveling, I could be working in Paris. And it doesn't matter you know, where I am. I always know that at my client's 9 a.m., I'm going to start responding to their emails. So I, just for my own sanity, I like to keep everybody in the same time zone as much as possible. Yeah, I think for virtual assistants, that's probably the one industry where it would, now that you mentioned it, really matter that you work in a pretty similar time zone to them just because you have to be very hands-on with their schedule and meet their demands like as quickly as possible versus being like a writer or a developer or something where you can work with some across the world and it probably wouldn't affect things too much. Would you say that's true? You know what? Yes, actually, I'm really glad you brought that up. That's a really good point. Virtual assistance is not as asynchronous as I would say other fields, I'd imagine. So for the most part, virtual assistants are pretty much online and working during client business hours as well. Um, if for, you know, if on the, and it's rare, but it does happen that you can have a virtual assistant client who, um, especially if you're doing more creative work, if you're doing graphics, um, if you are setting up social media channels, some of those things can be done at any time, but you're absolutely right. For the most part, this industry is pretty much working hours. Now, when working with clients, they really have to be able to trust you with like their schedules and any confidential information if they have that. So what are some of the best ways to establish that trust with clients and maintain that professionalism that like it would be easier to carry off that professionalism in an office mm -hmm. uh, where they can see like the way you carry yourself in the room and everything, mm -hmm. but you don't get that with working remotely. So how do you maintain that like professionalism? This is a fantastic question videos right away right off the bat videos thank goodness for zoom so clients um this is actually one of the central things that clients ask as well because i you know i have access to my clients passports social security numbers bank accounts they're so we have the keys to their digital lives um and it's scary to hand that off to a person like me who you've never met right. face to face so whenever i have a new client or I'm, or i'm pitching a new client um, I always suggest that we get on a video call. Mm. Part of that is that we can easily build a rapport better than over the phone. They can see my face. They can see it. I'm a real person. They can see my you know, home office. 
Um, but I think I think ultimately just just showing and proving your existence is <laughs> step one. And uh, yeah, and just being a personable, open person asking questions to your clients just it really goes back to that client building relationship and uh, building rapport, having a human to human relationship. Um, so for anyone listening to this, if you're not comfortable on camera, I, I, I want to tell you that the more you practice, the easier it gets, but it's the face to face relationship that still really drives this business. That also goes back to what you were saying earlier about important soft skills. Communication is super key when working as a freelancer. Yeah. I, I was actually going to add just you you said something about soft skills that just sparked um, sparked an idea is that one of the other most crucial soft skills you can have as a VA is is I guess I'll just say trustworthiness. Um, and I say that because I actually met a, you know, again, we, we have access to so much data that, um, you know, don't, don't use your clients discount codes to hotels. You know what I mean? Like, don't, don't take advantage of, you know, lots of clients will have access to different tools or, or, um, you know, I have clients who, who pay for certain websites that give them discounts to vacation stuff. Just, you, you can't use your clients things for yourself. Um, so part of that is not taking advantage of what you have access to. Um, but it, you said that it reminded me there was a new virtual assistant that I had the chance to meet online recently. And he said to me that he was hesitant to use his real name when working with clients. And I just hmm. point blank told him that that was a huge red flag. So I said, if, if I were a client and I was working with somebody who was hesitant to give me their, their identity and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not saying give this person access to your credit cards or banker personality, right. but if I met somebody who was hesitant to use their real name, that's not a virtual assistant I would hire because I would have way too many questions. Um, so yeah, so that trustworthiness is, is huge. I wonder why that was. Did he ever say? Actually, he didn't. And I wish that he had. I asked him about it and and he didn't follow up. But I'm not sure what the hesitancy was. But um, it's definitely the first time I've met someone who was unwilling to use their real name for freelance work. Interesting. Because, yeah, in social media, there was a time where they would say, like, don't use your real identity online. But now if you want to build like a personal brand, you definitely want to use yeah. your real name. That's very true. You know what? That's a really good point. Yes, times are changing. <laughs> now, I like to bring up the topic of working with difficult clients because unfortunately, that's just a big reality mm. for freelancers. So have you ever worked with a difficult client and how did you handle those situations? I have, yes. Um, difficult clients, I think, are an inevitable part of doing business. I... Again, I actually fall back. Well, okay, there's two things I do. The first thing I do is I will try my hardest to find at least one thing that I like about that particular client. Mm. So I think I had mentioned earlier, we were saying that clients work with people that they like. And I think the reverse is also true. I think we as freelancers are more likely to turn work around faster or we're more willing to hop on projects for clients that we like. I think it's a natural part of doing business that when you like someone, you try a little harder, you turn things around a, a little faster. 
Um, if there's somebody that you work with that you dread, your stomach drops every time you see an email in your inbox, you know, that's not somebody I think you're going to drop everything and, and want to rush to do work for. So in that case, I, I have to find one thing that I like about them and then really hold on to that thing. It could be as minute as they have a dog that I really like, like some, you know, whatever it is, find that one thing that you like and try to hold that in your mind as you're working for them. But I think more important to that is that once you get to a point in your career where you have enough clients or you have enough income coming in that you can cover your bills, it's time to let that client go. And I also apply this 80, 20 rule to my business. So about once a year, I will actually look at all of my clients and I'll ask myself, are there, you know, is there 20%, which is typically one to two clients, but is there 20% of my clientele that's causing me 80% of my stress? And if the answer is yes, like if I have one client who's causing 80% of my headache and 80% of my stress, I will fire them effectively. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know how helpful that is for new freelancers who maybe your one client is your worst nightmare. I'll say keep, you know, dig to find the thing you love about them. Keep building your business. And when you get to a place where you can financially drop them, do it without, without hesitating because your life and your day will feel better and less stressful. That's incredible advice. I haven't heard that before. Uh, you know, if you're stuck with one client and you can't drop them, focus on the things that you like about them because it's just so <laughs> so natural to to want to just shut down while working with a client like that. So I think that's really, really good advice. Now, after that adjustment period, when you first become a freelancer, I feel like the first question is, how do I grow this business? Mm. So how did you first start to find your clients? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I found my first client, perhaps like many other people do as well, but uh, it was through my immediate network. And uh, initially, it was just word of mouth, which word of mouth and referrals still a decade later is still one of my easiest and best ways to get new clients. Um, but at the time when I was first making this transition, I, I didn't have any clients under my belt. I simply struck up a conversation with a woman um, who I had worked with before. We happened to be at the same time at the same place physically together. And uh, I didn't know her super well, but I told her what work ventures I was getting into and what I was thinking about building. And she thought it was a great idea. And again, back, at the, back in 2012, virtual assistance was a fairly new concept. So um, she was fascinated by what I was trying to build. And she ended up being my first client. And the very first project I did for her was build a family photo album. So she sent like a ton of digital pictures to me. I know it was this, it's funny because I think back on that and I'm like that, I've never done anything like that since then. So it was this simple, super simple task where I basically just, you know, I, I put all her photos in an album and helped her physically print and order this album. It can all be done online. And she was so happy with the results and the turnaround that she told her friends. And uh, slowly but surely, I would take on more one, you know, initially it was a lot of one-time projects. And then eventually I connected with somebody who, um, who it, you know, it was somebody working at a company and she said, I need an assistant and I'm not willing to hire someone full time. So let's give this a go. And we've 
we've been together for almost a decade. (laughs) And so I think word of mouth, word of mouth is still one of the most popular ways to get clients. Yeah, you hear a lot of stories like that for freelancers. You can get on jobs boards and find find those jobs, but also just reaching out mm-hmm. to your own network can be so powerful. And like one referral leads to the next and then it just snowballs and suddenly you're getting more clients than you can handle at one time. That is exactly right. And and I think I think I think the reason that that is still so powerful, and I'll even tell this to, to new virtual assistants, so tell your friends and your family first. We're not necessarily pitching you know, your aunt or your mom. You don't necessarily want your mother to be your first client. However, even the simple act of telling friends and family what it is that you do, the services that you're offering, how much you charge, drumming up some interest like that. I mean, your your immediate network knows you, they trust you, they're excited for you, they want to support you. So even the simple act of telling them what you're doing and then asking them, you know, if you have anyone in your network or you, you hear of anything where someone could benefit from my services, tell them, you know, connect us. Sometimes that's the best way to get started. Mm-hmm. Do you know of any other strategies for networking and, and building relationships? Sure. Yeah. I think utilizing social media, you know, social media these days, um, it's, it's huge, but it's free. Mm -hmm. Everybody has access to everything. I think picking one to two platforms that feel natural to you that you like to actually use. I think choosing platforms that, um, you feel a natural connection to is a good place to start. And, I like to say when you're getting started, especially instead of posting and ghosting, I see this happen all the time where a client, a person, for example, on Twitter will say, I'm looking for a virtual assistant. You know, does anyone following me on Twitter know of any VAs? And you will see 400 responses of other virtual assistants who are like, I'm available, hire me. And then they never follow back up. That doesn't work at all. That's a terrible strategy. Basically, you're you're relying on this person who doesn't know you from a hole in the wall to go through 400 responses where everyone is like, hire me, I'm available. Right. You haven't given them anything interesting. You haven't struck up a rapport. You haven't given them any social proof that you are a good assistant. <laughs> so, so utilizing social media is important, but I think it's important in how you're using it. So I think posting... Um, you know, posting on your profiles about work that you're doing or interesting things happening in your industry, going, you know, go to social media, look for other people in your field. I like to connect with other virtual assistants and strike up a conversation with them, getting to know them. You know, again, referrals are a big part of this business. So there are times Mm -hmm. that I've befriended virtual strangers. I've never met them, but we've befriended each other on LinkedIn and all of a sudden we're sending each other client referrals or you know i've been on twitter before and i've talked to writers as you mentioned and we've struck up a friendship on twitter and years down the line they need a virtual assistant and fortunately i'm top of mind for them because i've struck up this relationship so in that sense you know word of mouth and referrals um, in some cases can be an immediate way to get clients and then utilizing social media in a smart strategic interesting way 
is a great play for the long term. So it raises a really great point because uh, I love what you said about using social media in a smart way because it can seem sometimes like when you get into freelancing and you see how many other people are in your industry trying to be freelancers, it can feel like there's just so much competition out there. And there is a lot of competition, but if you just follow up and make a little bit more of an effort to get that client or yeah, just follow up with them, it really puts you yes. ahead of the pack. Isn't that crazy that sometimes just following up with a person can be the thing that sets you apart? For sure. You're absolutely right. So did you ever market yourself through like traditional paid advertising or do you find it's better to build authority through outlets like social media? No, I never used, I never used paid advertising. I, um, you know, first and foremost, my, my first clients were in from word of mouth and referrals. And since then I've just tried to use social media, like you said, in interesting and consistent ways. So I'm uh, very involved on YouTube. I've posted consistently. I'm trying to bring unique and interesting insights to the virtual assistant industry. And that has grown a ton. And I've even fielded some very interesting clients who find me through YouTube, which has been great. And mm -hmm. it's the same with LinkedIn, very involved in LinkedIn, very involved in Twitter. Um, and yeah, you know, I used to be guilty of the posting and ghosting too, where I would, I would uh, maybe tweet early on in my freelance career, I would tweet out something like, you know, these are my services and, and here's how you can connect with me. And then I would never post anything else or check, you know, Twitter for the next week. So clearly that doesn't work. So yeah, part of it is that you can use social media to really drum up an interest about your business and really market yourself as an authority figure in your field. Um, but that does take time. It does take consistency. But it is another great way to advertise yourself without doing those traditional paid routes. Um, and I will say one more thing about that. The reason that I never went through the traditional paid advertising is, um, especially as a beginner, is I had this kind of horrible thought. And this might have never happened. But I thought to myself, what if I, as a new VA, spent money to, to acquire clients? What if it worked? What if I got 20 people? at the same time. There was no way that I was going to be capable of giving people my best energies and efforts. Um, so I'll be honest, part of that was a fear of growing too fast. Mm -hmm. And uh, and ultimately, I'm, I'm glad that it was not something that I engaged in. Um, and who knows, maybe it's something as things change in the future, as we talk about flexibility in business, I'm not closing myself onto it, but I think the power of networking and building up rapports through social media is equally as powerful. I think that's a really valid point to make though, because like in the beginning of freelancing, when you're pitching clients, um, I don't know if you've ever cold pitched clients, but when you're cold pitching clients, mm. it can feel like, oh, I'm not gonna pitch that many people because what if everybody says yes? And then there's no way I can handle <laughs> everybody. And then pretty soon it's like, oh, wait, it's not getting any responses. I need to start pitching yeah. a lot more people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> so what are some emerging trends you see happening in the virtual assistant industry? Is AI playing a more important role? Ooh, I love this question. Um, tr oh, yes. So trend-wise, 
more and more people are and products and brands and companies are talking about building personal brands, building brands for their businesses. So I'm seeing new industries emerge. And I say that because in terms of virtual assistants, general admin, and I'm talking calendar management, travel management, booking travel for people, scheduling meetings, admin will always be needed. Every Mm -hmm. business under the sun needs a doer. So something like that is always going to be a sure bet. Um, But there are interesting emerging trends in that more and more companies nowadays are getting into video content. More So, you know, the emergence of virtual assistants who are not only doing admin, but also doing video editing, or also editing podcasts, or also uh, repurposing content for their clients so that their content, you know, their client can film one long form video and a virtual assistant can cut it up and place it on different channels and respond to people. I mean, that is crazy time consuming. Um, so those trends are changing. And fortunately, I am thrilled with the emergence of AI. I could not be happier about this. Um, I think, you know, even while we're filming this, chat GPT has stolen yep. everyone's hearts all over the world, mine included. Um, I've had other virtual assistants ask me if we're, you know, if I'm worried that we're ever going to replace. And my answer is no, I, I don't think we're ever going to be replaced because again, this is a human to human business. Not only that, but there are nuances um, that, you know, a, a, an AI tool can never replace. Now, having said that, I love to use ChatGPT to do things like, um, you know, it can actually help me with client tasks. I had a client the other day ask me for a romantic Valentine's dinner recommendation in LA. And usually this is something quick that I would research, but I was curious if ChatGPT could do it for me. And it turns out it can. And it not only gave me actual real recommendations of places and why it was choosing these restaurants. But I was like, this is beautiful. Um, so I actually did use a, a chat GPT's responses. So I'm using chat GPT to not only make my own work faster, I'm using it to draft emails. Um, it's, you know, it's a point, it's a jumping off point for myself. I'm using chat GPT to help me plan content that I wanted, you know, explore or talk about for my own business. Um, so AI is incredible. And I think for anyone not using AI tools, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, it's something that's going to make us ultimately better and faster and turn work around faster. And uh, I think it's wonderful. It's a great point about shooting yourself in the foot if you're not using it, because it might be someone's <laughs> first instinct to pull back and be like, wait a minute, I don't want to use that. But then everybody else is. And then you might as well, you might as well get in too. So <laughs> you're not left behind. It's just these, you know, we'll never be as fast as a tool like ChatGPT. And there are other tools that are emerging on the market now. Like there are AI tools that can, um, you know, I mentioned VAs that are getting into video editing. There are tools out there that will actually snip out dead space. Or if you've messed up a take, it'll automatically cut it out for you. There, you know, I think even Adobe has a tool that will clean up audio clips. So there's so many things that, again, can just make us faster and better at our jobs, which ultimately, I I don't know that clients care how you get work done. Mm -hmm, I think what they care about is that it is getting done and that it's of a good quality. Yeah, I'm under the same mindset. Like 
technology, it can't fully replace you, but it can be an incredible tool that leads to hopefully a better work-life balance for freelancers? Absolutely, yes. So speaking of having a better work-life balance, right now, how are you maintaining a good work-life balance between balancing your client's schedule and your own personal schedule? Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny you ask me that because the beginning of the year has felt like drinking out of a fire hose where I felt <laughs> like I could never quite catch up. It's a good problem to have for freelancers, you know, like there's so much work that you feel like you can't get ahead of the curve. Um, what I will do though, and what I've always done is I have to set really steadfast boundaries. I think especially, I think this is especially true as, um, you know, 2020 when the whole world started working remotely, I think people found that when you work from home or wherever you are working from, when you work remotely, it's easy to work longer hours because, you know, you wake up and you're like, well, I'll just check email in bed. And all of a sudden you realize you've been technically working since 7 a.m. So right. it's, it's way too easy to let work kind of eat your time. So I, uh, I tell my clients that I'm available and online from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. their business hours. Um, the reason I do that is because I, A, it kind of helps protect myself. So I have the morning to do whatever I want to do. I went on a walk this morning. It was lovely. Uh, I have the evenings to actually take a break and go to the gym and cook dinner. Um, but the other reason that I keep boundaries so steadfast is because imagine if I were once in a blue moon answering my clients at 10 p.m. If I didn't give them a set schedule, they would expect me to be online 24 seven, mm -hmm. which, um, you know, for, for all, for all freelancers out there, we're not 24 seven people. And if you are, I don't know how you're not burnt to an absolute crisp. So I try really hard to keep those boundaries so that I don't set false client expectations. And the last question I want to ask you is just whether there are any common misconceptions about being a virtual assistant or even just a freelancer. Oh, yes. Actually, I'm glad you asked that because it relates um, to the question you just asked me about boundary setting. I think that there are, I'm going to say there are three that come to mind immediately. The first is that people think that virtual assistants are full-time employees and try to treat us as such. So yeah, it sounds nice to have a virtual assistant you need to remember as a client that we have multiple clients with multiple deadlines in some cases client a is not always going to be my priority and that's hard for some clients to to swallow you know what i mean everybody wants to feel like the most important client there are going to be times where there are other deadlines or projects that supersede their own um, so i think for people who are thinking about working with a virtual assistant just getting used to the idea that your VA, your freelancer, is going to be working for you and turn work around for you, um, but it, 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 it's not going to be immediate all the time. You might not be the first in line, and that's okay. The second misconception is that people often think that we can do everything all at once with zero training. Um, virtual assistants usually are very well versed in a lot of different skills and niches. 
having said that, there still needs to be an onboarding period. So I've worked with clients before who, um, you know, for social media management, for example, they have their own tools that they like to use. They have their own way of measuring engagement that they like to use. Um, so expecting a virtual assistant to sign on and hit the ground running and know how to do all that right from the get-go, big misconception. So there needs to be an onboarding period where you're giving your VA a chance to get familiar with the tools that you're using. You're giving them a chance to get to know your quirks. Um, you know, as a VA, we have to learn, you know, if we have 10 clients, we have to learn 10 different personalities who likes to answer emails first, who likes to fly first class. Like there's just a lot of things in our minds to balance. Um, so just, I guess, I guess the third misconception and related to that is just, um, it's just, you know, give your VA a, a grace period to figure it out. <laughs> Nobody's going to be 100% from day one. But, you know, the relationship will get better. Have, have some patience. They will learn your, the ins and outs of your business. And they'll go from there. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on the Indie Podcast and sharing all of this amazing advice. Uh, where can people find you if they want to know more about becoming a virtual assistant? Oh, thank you so much. This was a really fun conversation. Um, I have my own website, so people can go to Aaron Booth, E-R-I-N-B-O-O-T-H.com. And all of my info is right there, um, including, you know, coaching courses, free videos. Um, so I have lots of free resources for people who are looking to get into virtual assistants. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. And if you're listening and you're looking for an easier way to manage your freelance business, you can sign up to Indie to get the productivity tools, the resources, and the tips to grow your freelance business. Thanks for tuning in. Mm -hmm.